0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors.
1: One of the myths is that arthritis is a disease of the elderly. Anybody of any age and stage can get arthritis. A big chunk of those with arthritis right now are of working age. That's not to say if you get it when you're of working age, that it won't stay with you when you're retired. And over time, it will be the case that by 2030, one in two people over 65 will have arthritis, not because they develop it necessarily at over the age of 65, but because they get it and they live long with this chronic condition.
2: Welcome to the new and expanded 60-minute version of The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Bussin, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we're going to discuss self-advocacy and arthritis. Then, we'll talk about having that long-term care conversation. We're also going to hear what it takes to be a meal prep master. And lastly, we're going to learn all about sleep hygiene, but first, a little bit of business. Did you know that one in five Canadians have arthritis? a chronic disease that has surprising consequences, affecting people of all ages. Living with arthritis is a serious condition which swells, stiffens, and can damage irreversibly the joints in the body, causing people to live in chronic pain, lack mobility, and be unable to enjoy daily living. Knowing you have the disease is important. Early diagnosis and treatment can improve your quality of life with arthritis. Visit arthritis.ca slash symptomchecker to find out if you may be one of the 6 million Canadians affected, and then talk to your doctor. My first guest, Janet Yale, is the president and CEO of the Arthritis Society, a role she's led for the past six years. She's a strong advocate for driving change for Canada's largest chronic health condition. Previous C-suite and executive roles were with TELUS, the Canadian Cable Television Association and other private, public, and not-for-profit organizations. Janet is a recipient of the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: So I understand today we're, we're going to learn some stuff about arthritis because it's Arthritis Month, right?
1: It is Arthritis Awareness Month all through September.
2: And you're also going to explain if somebody happens to either be diagnosed with arthritis, what they might be able to do to self-advocate and really take care of the condition.
1: Our goal is to help people live well with the disease because it is a lifelong disease, a chronic condition that affects so many help people understand how to take charge of their destiny and live as well as they can with their disease.
2: Well, that's a, f- a fantastic and noble cause. Let's start at the beginning. For, for those who don't know, and I'm, I presume everybody does, but let's pretend they don't. What is arthritis?
1: There are a lot of people who don't really understand arthritis. Arthritis has two main forms, one, generally speaking, much more serious than the other. There are about 6 million Canadians with arthritis today. The vast majority have something called osteoarthritis, which is um, joint-specific pain that can uh, start in your elbow, your knee, any particular joint in the body and has a number of causes but is uh, joint-specific and generally speaking is thought of as wear and tear that leads to bone-on-bone painful uh, swelling uh, of the joints and, and difficulty in, in moving whatever joint is impacted. Inflammatory arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis is a disease of inflammation that can attack your entire uh, body at the same time.
2: And that's the more serious of the
1: two, And right? that is a very serious disease and it can manifest itself in incredible, all of a sudden you just can't move your whole body feels like it's on fire. And in those cases, it's incredibly important to get early diagnosis and treatment because within 90 days undiagnosed, there can start to be permanent joint damage.
2: Oh, wow. And, and it's considered an autoimmune disease, is it not? It
1: is an autoimmune disease, and and your immune system is incapable of managing the disease, which is why you need uh, serious treatments that can be tantamount to a cure in terms of putting your body into remission, which is why we say it's so important to have early diagnosis and treatment.
2: So if one thinks that they have or may have arthritis, what are some of the symptoms that would stand out?
1: Well, for sure. Pain in your joints, swelling, stiffness, redness, heat in your joints, and in the case of uh, osteoarthritis. And uh, it can be triggered by an injury, so whether it's soccer hockey. Uh, those, somebody, those
2: Somebody who lifts weights too much like me or was running or teaching spinning, stuff like that.
1: Things can happen. And right. in those cases, it's really important to make sure that you see someone, first of all, take care of the inflammation, right. but also make sure that it doesn't turn into arthritis because you take care with physiotherapy or sports injury specialists to make sure that you do the proper kind of therapy that makes sure that the joint heals properly.
2: So when you say uh, make sure you're going to the the proper person, do you mean a doctor or is it necessarily a doctor that they should be going to? It
1: it depends. I would say it depends on the nature of the injury, but certainly starting with your family doctor and asking what kind of help would be most appropriate is a good place to start. If you're not sure if it's arthritis, on arthritis.ca, on our website, we have something called a symptom checker. Right. And it walks you through steps that you can take at the end of which it'll say, are you likely to have arthritis or not, and if you are, to go see your family doctor for appropriate um, diagnosis and so treatment. So I'm not
2: looking for a diagnosis, but I used to be a runner, and, and I actually had to stop because I had Achilles problems. But now I'm noticing, since I've been doing a lot more weight training, I'm getting some knee problems in the morning. So I think I have to go check out your website and make sure I don't, I'm not getting the onset of, of arthritis. And
1: what you can do to make sure that, that you don't have disease progression. So for example obviously, the more stress you put on the joints, the harder it is, which is one of the reasons that it's important to do exercise to strengthen the muscles that protect the joints. It's important to make sure that you watch your diet because the more weight you carry, obviously, the more stress you put on your joints. There's some pretty obvious things, but if you want some more help on that, for sure, arthritis.ca has some ways that you can protect your joints.
2: So who's affected by arthritis? Is it just the elderly or is it everybody who might potentially get it?
1: One of the myths is that arthritis is a disease of the elderly. And in fact, any Anybody of any age and stage can get arthritis. Interestingly, two-thirds of people with arthritis are women. Right. One-third are men. Hmm. And uh, a big chunk of those with arthritis right now are of working age. And that's not to say if you get it when you're of working age that it won't stay with you when right. you're retired. And Over time, it will be the case that by 2030, one in two people over 65 will have arthritis, not because they develop it necessarily at over the age of 65, but because they get it and they live long with this chronic condition.
2: Why is it that women are more prone to it? Do you know?
1: We need more research. One of the things that goes with the fact that arthritis isn't taken seriously enough as a disease, oh, it's just part of getting older, oh, there's nothing much that can be done, is that it's underinvested from a research perspective compared to diseases that people fear.
2: Is that because it affects women and historically those types of diseases were were not funded properly?
1: It's hard to say what are all the reasons why there isn't enough investment in research, but certainly I would argue that we need way more because for osteoarthritis, which is the vast majority of people with arthritis, disproportionately women, Unless and until you get to a stage where you need a joint replacement, which means years of living in increasing pain and lack of mobility and restricted activities, there is not much we can do other than diet, exercise, Non pharmacological solutions right. and pain alleviation, both of which are good, but we can't really stop disease progression yet. And that's really where uh, we need better understanding of the biomechanics of the body and uh, basic research to really understand the causes of the disease and prevent its onset.
2: Is it hereditary or does one just get it? Both. Oh, okay.
1: Both. People with a history of inflammatory arthritis or osteoarthritis in their family. It may be genetically programmed into you, if you will, Right. but also there's lots of people who get it where there's no history of the disease in their family. Again, we need a lot more research to really understand these root causes and what people can do, even if they have that genetic predisposition to prevent that from turning into the disease itself.
2: Right. So one of the key elements of arthritis is chronic pain, and for those who may not understand what we mean by chronic, let, let's distinguish chronic with sort of an isolated pain that might occur if you know you bang your elbow, right? Like what is chronic pain?
1: Well, personally I haven't lived with chronic pain, but well, that's from good. those uh, yeah. So I'm lucky. I've had incidents of pain. But what I understand from people who live in chronic pain is it's just so wearing. It's this just constant sense that you just can't escape it. And for those people they particularly fear going to sleep because that's when you notice, really notice when your body's in pain. And yep. particularly if it's in joints like your shoulders, which are sensitive to trying to find a comfortable position at Correct. night, it causes emotional distress. And so people with that sort of chronic pain get worn down and we need to take care of their emotional health as well as their physical health. So we're, we're really pushing the notion that arthritis is a serious disease. You should not have to live in chronic pain. And there are pain management strategies that are non-addictive that people should ask their family doctors for. It's one of the reasons that in Arthritis Awareness Month, we've said, we need to teach people to be their own champions with their healthcare professionals, and really get the support they need. And so we've developed on our website a self-advocacy toolkit that's designed to make sure people don't just take no for an answer when the doctor says, well, just live with it. There's not much you can do. Do doctors really say that? Are, are they not taking it seriously? I can't speak in general. We right. certainly hear from people. Anecdotally. Anecdotally. And one of the things we've actually recommended as one option, not the only option for chronic pain management is medical cannabis, because I was going to ask you, it, it is less addictive than other kinds of chronic pain management therapies. And over 50% of people who use medical cannabis use it for the alleviation of arthritis pain. And yet, there are many doctors who are still not comfortable authorizing it because they don't know and understand it. And so this is again... When
2: when you say the it, are you referring now to the cannabis or are you referring to to the disease? Both. People not taking the disease
1: seriously on the one hand, and if people say one of the biggest issues for me is my chronic pain, is not really knowing and understanding how to create effective long-term pain man- management strategies, including medical cannabis. So we hear tons from people who say, my doctor won't authorize it. Right. They they will tell me just to live with the pain.
2: And there's fewer choices now because the doctors are being required not to prescribe the opioids that they were perhaps a few years ago. And, and so people are suffering differently.
1: And certainly opioids are really more appropriate for acute pain, post-surgical issues that are temporary in nature. As opposed to a
2: chronic pain. As
1: opposed to a chronic pain, because we obviously don't want people addicted to their pain management uh, therapies. So again, on our website, arthritis.ca, we have a whole section on medical cannabis and how people can get it um, authorized for them.
2: You also mentioned about the self-advocacy. So, you know, for those and people will for sure check it out. But what, what are the types of things that you uh, would recommend for somebody who's been diagnosed, how they can help themselves?
1: There are many ways that people can help themselves. One of the ways is to make sure that they think about their life plan holistically, because right. people have questions not just about their disease, but rest of life. What is a safe kind of exercise if I have arthritis in my hips and my knees? What, what are the diet choices that I should make that can help? What about pain management? What about pregnancy? What about work-life balance? People have lots of questions when they get desi- diagnosed with disease. And we want them to be comfortable going to their healthcare professionals and saying, here are all the questions I have.
2: And here's the type of life I want to lead. And, because, and, yeah, right. And,
1: and I'll just give you one quick story. I was sure. recently in a store and the woman serving me told me she had uh, osteoarthritis in her knee. She went for a very effective physiotherapy. And the physiotherapist said to her, you love to walk, but don't walk because it increases the stress on your joints. So she stopped walking, gained fifteen pounds, and now she has restricted mobility and is depressed because she's right. not walking. I think that's not great advice because I agree with you. Right. You know, for sure you want to deal with the symptoms, but you you have to live your life and do it in a in a way that manages the stress on your joints, but still allows you to take enjoyment for the things that give you your physical enjoyment, but also your emotional enjoyment as well.
2: So did that physiotherapist recommend other types of exercise? I I, I just think I don't know the phenomenally bad advice, right? Like, you know, go swimming, do something, you know, low impact, right? You know,
1: think of alternatives rather than just say, stop doing the one thing you've done for years and years that that you take great pleasure in. So those are the sorts of things where the self-advocacy toolkit can say, okay, but that really can't help me manage my emotional right. health and my physical health. So please help me. And really helping people be fearless and not just taking advice and think, oh, well, that's the healthcare professional. I better I better not do it if they say not to well, do it. Well, you
2: know, the doctors are, are health-oriented to the extent that they're, they're trying to create results and Whereas I find through personal experience with family members, they're not necessarily looking to quality of life, right? And, you know, what they're looking for is to make sure you're not going to get any sicker or, you know, maintain uh, your ability to deal with the pain. But they're not thinking about how do you live your life and, you know, mobility issues and social issues, too, because it affects your sociability well, if you can't get out and about, right? You know,
1: Well, your health outcome. Is how you feel as a person, right. not just whether or not your disease from a symptom perspective is managed. And we really think it's important to think about your holistic quality of life and making sure that your social, your emotional health, as well as your physical needs are met. And we have on our website. Uh, a section of our portal called flourish that has all kinds of lifestyle advice. We have our self advocacy toolkit. We have pain management and emotional health strategies. And we encourage people check out our website at arthritis.ca, but also be fearless in asking for help from your healthcare professionals.
2: So we only have time for one more question. And, and, and I'd like that to be so if there's one takeaway point that you'd like our listeners to understand from this discussion and from arthritis awareness month, what would that be?
1: Thank you for that last question, because I think the most important thing is for people to recognize that arthritis is a disease. It is a serious disease that can affect people at all ages and stages of life. And for Arthritis Awareness Month, we're really trying to get that point across, that it is a serious disease. It needs to be taken seriously. And if people do have signs and symptoms, reach out to your health professional so that we can get arthritis the attention it deserves.
2: Well, that sounds terrific. Thank you for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to discuss how to have that long-term care conversation with loved ones on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price friendly nutraceuticals.
0: For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. At Caregivers Services Limited, we specialize in 12 to 24 hour private care for seniors in private homes, hospitals, or facilities we provide the highest level of customized service for families looking for a caregiver or personal support worker. To ensure the highest quality of care and support, we limit the number of clients we service. Whether you're looking for general live-in care, or have more significant needs related to mobility issues, dementia, or palliative care, finding someone who's a great fit is most important. At Caregiver Services Limited, our highly experienced staff specialize in meeting the unique needs of 12 to 24-hour care. For more information, please visit caregiverservices.ca. Let our family help care for yours.
3: You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio.
2: My next guest, David Bernstein, graduated from the Schulich School of Business with an MBA in 1992. He worked in marketing and senior management with Procter & Gamble and Reckitt Benckiser in Toronto, Tel Aviv, Amsterdam and London. Following in the footsteps of several family members, David entered into the seniors care field, acquiring Caregiver Services Limited in 2014. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Jamie. So recently I, I've been contemplating my my mortality and I've been thinking about things like, you know, what do I want to do when I retire and where do I want to be and what is my funeral going to look like morosely? And I've been driving my my wife and my kids crazy with all these thoughts that I've been having about those issues. And I think... I'm not alone in being sort of in my 50s and, and thinking about these things, but these conversations come up, I think, with spouses and family members, parents who are getting older uh, and have to start having to make decisions, right?
4: Yeah, those subjects typically become relevant when there's a change going on. It's rare in my experience that someone in their 50s is having a converse a serious conversation yeah. well, about I, it, the, unless their life experiences suggest otherwise.
2: Well, you know, I, I think about it because my my dad, you know, had colitis, ileitis, heart condition, and then developed cancer. So, you know, I I lived through. You saw it at I early saw age. it right. right yeah.
4: Exactly, and it's it's not inappropriate to think about it. It's just more rare. Usually it occurs uh, when people in their 60s or 70s, they start to think about it, or when they're starting to think about, do they wanna stay in the home that they're in? Right. Does it meet their needs as they feel their bodies age? And whether or not there's been some sort of illness that forces them to think forward as to where they're gonna live. And so I would say that, as you I'm sure you know, every family's different and their ability to communicate with each other is different. Right. Usually from my point of view, I get the calls when an event occurs, which I would suggest is too late.
2: Right. You don't want, you don't want to be responding right. to an emergency. Exactly.
4: It is what it is, and, and that's what happens more often than not. But ideally, you want to have this conversation when change is
2: being considered, not when it's being forced upon you. Of course. So how do you enter into these conversations? What's the best way to do it?
4: It's to ask. your uh, presuming we're talking about your parents right. or one's parents. It's to ask them how they see, you know, their retirement going and to always keep in mind that our parents are people with strong identities and quite often their physical or mental health is there's a gap between that and their sense of self. Right. And so they're in a little internal conflict themselves. So you have to give them time to think through it. So start by asking the question of them and let them talk. Let them think through it. Time may have to pass for them to even come to sort of a, a vision of what they actually want to do. And they also have to have the conversation amongst themselves between your mother and your father if the two people are involved,
2: etc. Right. And, and you know, it strikes me it's the type of thing that may not be covered in one conversation. It may it may be a series no. of conversations, right?
4: Exactly. Uh, the, I think the most important thing is to begin it, to... Have an honest conversation to recognize and respect that it's your parents' decision for the most part. It's their life. It's what they want to do. You just want to make them know that you're there to talk about it. If they want to ask you, well, are you going to be available to help? Right. You know, as we age or, you know, not, you know, financially, do they have the money? Maybe they've got you know plenty of money, which makes it a lot easier to stay at home for a much longer period of time if that's what they choose. Or if they're on a limited income and they're already in a relatively small house, their options may be uh, sort of decided for them.
2: Right. And I guess as, you know, families just sort of have to develop their own strategies. Is there more than one child? Is everybody on the same page? Is everybody living in the same city? What sort of resources do the kids have or other family members who may be involved in the picture? Exactly. And
4: again, I think it starts with if there's multiple kids, they should probably talk amongst themselves about the subject. But I think the best way to, to minimize any conflict is to Ask the parents what they think, what they want. Let them have every opportunity to lead that discussion because it is their discussion. And really the role of the uh, of the child is to keep the discussion going right. and to sort of probe, well, have you, have you talked to your doctor about a do not resuscitate order? Are the power of attorneys, you know, in order? You just ask the questions and let them kind of tell you what their thinking is and how much they've done to resolve it
2: all. Right. So, what, what's a good starting point? I mean, you've got a lot of experience in this field. I mean, you're witnessing families having these discussions. So, where do, where do people most likely start? I think it should start with where people, in
4: what form of home do they want to live? Right. There are really two big subjects, where they're going to live and sort of categories around the living will, which is powers of attorney, do not resuscitate order, things of that nature. Both are big subjects and right. will affect you know aging whether aging at home or aging in a facility but starting with where you're living is it's a little bit more of a positive
2: right it's, it's forward looking right it's it, forward
4: looking it's lifestyle oriented and it will lead to the other subjects right so my recommendation is start with that right and also because quite often the discussion could be around what do we need to do to retrofit the home? Right. And then the practicalities impose themselves on the circumstance. Maybe the home can't be retrofitted or, you know, maybe there's three layers, there's three flights of stairs and doesn't matter what we do, we can't live in this house.
2: Right. I guess it forces your loved one to sort of consider now that we're talking about whether or not we're going to get an elevator or whether or not you're just going to put handles in the bathtubs, you know, is that really going to be enough? And where do you see yourself in five years? Is that really going to make a difference or do we need to start thinking about other solutions. It's
4: relatively rare that that people will stay in large, complicated homes unless they can afford to have a lot of caregiving support, because there's just too much to care for at some point
2: as well. Right. The, the
4: home on, in and of itself has a lot of, uh, of requirements. Clearing
2: the snow, you know, all, all the things, paying everything. utilities, everything. Yeah. Everything. There's, Upkeep, there's so many
4: yeah. circumstances or situations that are, are relevant. You know, at the end of the day, it's, you'll come across this subject on in so many different areas, but the single greatest thing that, that seniors need to avoid when it comes to aging is falling.
2: Right. No, it's true. As my a, broken, a broken hip is... is as that yeah, is, yeah.
4: it's trying to avoid a fall. And so if you can organize the home in such a way that uh, those risks are, are minimized, then that home might be an appropriate place to continue to age in right um you know there 's
2: obviously other considerations, but well, well, let 's talk about let 's talk about the types of things when you 're having these conversations that, that you know they 're natural and they 're organic, but they create crises or, or difficulties in sort of resolution. What sort of things have you witnessed uh, that families struggle with?
4: Well, the financial concern, I would say, is the biggest right because more often than not, I get the call because an event has occurred someone 's fallen. Or they've had a stroke or something's happened where they're hospitalized. And the hospital wants people out of their beds as quickly as possible. And frankly, you
2: want to get out of the hospital. You
4: do want out, but they want you out as quickly as possible. But they'll say to you, you need some support at home. Right. And that forces the conversation. And they say, you, in theory, can't go home unless you've got care in place. Now... They call us. We take them through you know, all the options that are available. And quite often, if it's the first time they've had to deal with caregiving support, they're shocked at how costly it can be. Right. You're paying somebody possibly 24 hours a day, often it's 8 hours a day or 12 hours a day for a significant care it adds up very quickly. And so the family goes, well, we have no choice. We have to bring mom home or dad home and set them up so they're safe and they're cared for and we can help with the recovery. But then they realize, wow, this is just not affordable long term. So then the next layer of conversations take place.
2: What about expectations? Right. I mean, there's the expectation of the person who needs the help, and then there's the expectation of the, the loved ones as to what's viable and what's necessary. How do you How do you broach that?
4: I defer to what the person whose life we're talking about. It's their choice. At the end of the day, I tell children that let your parents lead the way. Right. It's what they want. It's their lives. It's their money. It's their time. It's their relationships. And so respect that as much as possible. Help facilitate good decisions. Right. Um, if you run into conflict, then it really depends on the nature of the conflict as to how to resolve it.
2: I think that's good advice. We've only got a few more minutes. What are some practical tips that people may not be turning their minds to, but really, if you're having these conversations or the type of things that could be covered off, like, is it as simple as, hey, we need a contact list? We need to know who, which doctors and which medications are being taken? Or?
4: Um, there'd be sort of, uh, I would say there are three things that, you, that most families should do. Four things. One is start these conversations with your parents. Right. Two is keep a health binder. And in that health binder can be do not resist state orders, powers of attorney, health cards, medication lists, any type of information you think should be kept together. The uh, other two items would be have a conversation with your doctor about these issues and what they think.
2: Prognosis. Et
4: cetera. and And have a conversation with whoever's in charge of your estate, lawyer, accountant, financial advisor. Have those conversations. Tell them you're having those conversations with your children and let them guide you as to what's the, what are the sort of key areas to cover.
2: Fantastic. If people have more questions of you, what's the best way to reach you? You can reach us at uh,
4: caregiverservices.ca, which is our website, or you can call us at
2: 905-642-9494. Thank you for coming in today. Appreciate it very much, Jamie. We'll have you back next month. Uh, We've got to take a short break, though. And when we return, we're going to learn how to be a meal prep master on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. The Big Carrot has been advocating against GMOs in our food system since 1999, and they are the founding members of the Non-GMO Project. This food label provides verified non-GMO choices and protects our right to know what is in the food that we're feeding our families. October is non-GMO month, and to celebrate on October 15th, The Big Carrot will donate 5% of the sale of non-GMO project verified products back to support the mission of the organization. Be sure to look for that butterfly. The Big Carrot, living better together.
5: This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
2: Megan Horsley is a registered holistic nutritionist, blog writer, and recipe developer. She's passionate about helping her clients discover their best selves with a holistic approach to their well-being with delicious food, movement, and thoughts. Megan loves witnessing the transformations that unfold. Megan is also a knowledgeable and entertaining writer whose first article for Tonic was all about meal planning. As we transition back into work and back to school, I thought today would be a great time to learn the ins and outs of getting ahead of the daily cooking grind. Welcome back to the show.
3: Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. How are you?
2: I'm in a strange mood today, so we're going to see where this goes. (laughs) But I love to eat and I love to cook. And if you can help our listeners do both, then we're all good.
3: Okay. Sounds good. I also love those things, so I think we're in good company here.
2: (laughs) All right. So lately I've noticed there's these new uh, businesses which provide you with raw food in a box with little recipes and they've already diced up squash and done things like that so that you don't have to go shopping. They just give you the food and then you prep it. And they're, right. they're really popular. Right. Do you think they're necessary?
3: I think yes and no. I think if you're at a certain point in your life where you feel like you're extremely strapped for time and you really can't find the time to prepare food for yourself, sure. But I also think that spending a few hours a week preparing your own food is possible.
2: It is, but you have to plan for it. Like, like I, I have the luxury of working from home. Right. So I can prepare a meal over the course of the day if, I, if need be, or I can carve out time to do some pre-prep so that it's not a, you know, a a cooking frenzy to get dinner on the table. Right. But a lot of people don't have that luxury.
3: Exactly. So I think that if you do have weekends, so if say you have two days a week, even if you have one day a week off, a lot of us these days are working seven days a week or more.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Work is Uh, undefined. Right.
3: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely think that if you can carve out some time, let's say three to four hours a week, one day of the week so that you can at least get ahead on some of your meals for your family, for yourself, you know, whoever's involved, it's going to be very beneficial.
2: Why should you meal prep? And what are the benefits of yeah, doing it? Yeah,
3: there are lots of benefits. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. You have more time with your family and friends. You have more time to do other activities that you enjoy doing. So you're not necessarily slaving away in the kitchen every single night of the week, right? right? So mm-hmm. if you can take all of that time and put it into one day, think about all of the extra hours you have throughout the week when you're not working. Yep. Right?
2: No, that makes sense.
3: Um, And then the other benefits are it takes out of the stress of figuring out what you're going to make every single night, right? So how many times do you say to your wife, what are we going to have for dinner? What do you want to eat?
2: It works a little bit (laughs) differently. So in addition to doing most of the cooking during the week, I also do the food shop. Okay. So, but I'm a little bit anal retentive when it comes to that. So I insist that we figure out what we're going to eat at the beginning of the week.
3: Okay. So that I can
2: go and get everything and that it's all there. So I don't have to keep going shopping all the time. Perfect. Because that's, to me, that's a waste of time.
3: Perfect. That's part of meal prep. You're already doing it. I'm doing it. I'm a natural. You're doing it. (laughs) Uh, So obviously the the other benefits too, like like you said, shopping ahead of time, it can be budget friendly, right? So you know what you're spending. You don't have to have that last minute takeout for dinner, right? Right. You're strapped for time. Okay, let's just get this, whatever the takeout is. The final point is that it may not, that takeout may not actually be more nutritious than what you're making at home, right? Well, it
2: rarely is, right? Right,
3: exactly. So you know what's going into your food Mm -hmm. and if you have certain dietary needs, you can tailor your meals to those needs,
2: Right. So when we're talking about meal prep today, obviously we're not talking about the literal act of preparing a meal, mm-hmm. but but rather preparing on mass uh right. multiple meals, right. right? Okay. So what's your first tip for for doing a process like for somebody who's never done it before? What would you recommend?
3: I would say Definitely for for inspiration, look at certain foods that you're attracted to. If you have certain uh, social media accounts that you follow, like maybe Minimalist Baker, you know, maybe it's...
2: Food 52.
3: Food 52, that's a perfect one. Yep. Yeah, uh, Joyous Health has a lot of really great recipes. I also put out recipes as well. Yep. So if there are certain personalities online that you follow and you really like the, the look of their food, yep. you can look to them for inspiration just to get your head into, you know, getting excited about meal prep. The other tip that I have is buying in bulk is really helpful. So instead of buying little bits of ingredients here and there for recipes, right. if you have more ingredients on hand as staples in your kitchen, it's much easier to do your meal prep. And you can always think ahead of time, based on the recipes that you've made already, right. what you can make on a weekly basis. I,
2: you know, everybody has their different staples. We yeah. have We have certain things that are in our house all the time, and it really assists. For example, right. stock, chicken stock. Yes. In boxes is, yes. is extremely helpful. Yes. Cheap flavoring agents like onions, garlic, shallots, ginger. Yeah, all really just,
3: good for you. Right. Yeah. You know,
2: having uh grains on hand like spelt or brown rice or quinoa.
3: Quinoa,
2: yep Just having it all together means that you're not racing around to get it. Exactly. And the other thing, like you're talking about buying in bulk, and it's interesting because I do different shops in different ways. Mm-hmm. But we're buying a lot from Costco. Right. Because you know, they do have organics. They do. Con- and-, and they're yes, very good. Yes. And honestly, uh, from a price perspective, They really are, you know, I'm a free plug here because they're not a sponsor. But honestly, (laughs) they really do have good organics and obviously in bigger volume. Yes.
3: And they're actually, so Costco is one of the places that I recommend to my clients when you are looking to do a big bulk shop. Right. You know, it's cost effective, as you said. And the nice thing about Costco is that they are tailoring to more organic farmers. Right. So they are helping funding with that. So over time, we're going to start to see more organic products in Costco, which is really exciting.
2: Yep. Okay, so, you know, one of the issues is if you're working from a recipe, Mm -hmm. you know, usually the recipe is for two or for four. Sure. But the type of cooking that you're talking about is for more portions. So, you know, what would you say to people who have to sort of work from a recipe that they have to expand for larger numbers? You can't just double it necessarily, can you?
3: You could. So uh, in my recent article, I put a little math equation in that could help you. So let's say if you're eating three main meals a day seven days a week, you can calculate for one person that you'll need 21 meals, right? right? Simple math. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have more people involved in the household, you could double that. And instead of choosing recipes that are, you know, really extravagant, look for recipes that have maybe seven ingredients or less. So it's easier for you. You don't have to think about multiple ingredients and how, you know, have to buy all of these and that sort of thing. Make it really simple for yourself.
2: Okay. Now, what sort of hardware do you need in order to do this meal prepping that you wouldn't normally need if you were just cooking day to day?
3: I don't necessarily know that you do need, you know, food processors or blenders, for example. I mean, you could use that later on in your, as you build your meal prepping uh, skills. Right. Um, But initially, I would say investing in good quality containers. You know, if you're going to meal prep, you want to make sure that you're using eco-friendly containers that you can easily reheat in. So glass containers are really great for that. Stainless steel, you know, good for storing food. Um, you might Stainless know- steel? Sure. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Easy to clean. Absolutely.
2: See, we go with the Corningware a glass containers. If it's going to be something you're going to reheat, like a casserole or... Right. Or something because you can pop them right into the microwave, and and sometimes even the lids are, are you can put them in, and also you can put pop them in the dishwasher.
3: Yes, I wouldn't recommend putting the stainless steel in no, the microwave. No, no, right. it will explode. <laughs> That's, That's where I was going. But yeah. then, and Don't then, do And, that.
2: and then yeah. Ziploc has sort of reusable containers that are perfect if you're brown bagging it, right? So if you if you want to bring like a stew or a soup, you're talking about
3: like Ziploc plastic containers. Or? they're
2: hard plastic, not not the bags, right? The
3: okay, yes, I see what you're saying. I I definitely wouldn't recommend choosing plastic or reheating in plastic? No, not to reheat. Okay. No, okay.
2: No, not to reheat because, no, no, no. Obviously, you don't want the plastics leaching into your food. Exactly. But uniformity of shape is also helpful for portion, right? So, yeah.
3: Yeah. That's fair.
2: You know, when I think of food prep, I think, you know, of countless consecutive hours. Is food prep time consuming? Like, are you really saving time or are you just sort of switching your time?
3: I would say definitely saving time. If you compact all of those cooking hours throughout the week into one day, let's say you're spending three to four hours. Also, it doesn't have to be that long. Right. It could be two hours, right? If you want to start very simply, start with two hours. And in those two hours, include your grocery shopping time, and then maybe just spend an hour prepping as much food as possible. If it's really, you know, if you're not enjoying it, you know, don't spend hours doing it. You know, you're trying to save yourself time throughout the week.
2: There's two types of people. People who enjoy cooking and people who don't. And you're never going to get somebody who doesn't enjoy cooking to enjoy the process whether you're streamlining it or making it, you know, one day a week instead of five. If they just don't like it, they're right. not, you know, if they're intimidated by it, they're not going to like it. Fair. I, y- fair. You know, that's my experience. I'm not saying you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but people <laughs> people have strange relationships to food, I yeah, find. Yeah, and that's you know?
3: totally fair. And I I also think that if you can incorporate family members yep. or your your partner, roommates, it can make it more incorporate, fun.
2: Incorporate you mean download. You mean get your kids to do the Absolutely. chopping, get right? Absolutely, get them to do
3: all the work. Exactly. Yep. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, what kind of foods would you would you include in in, in prep meals?
3: I would say, you know, foods that are, are very easy to prep. So. You know, for example, buy big boxes of salad greens. Yep. Keep those in your fridge. Portion out your salads ahead of time. Definitely cook big batches of quinoa, brown rice. Uh, legumes are also really great sources of protein. You can cook whole chickens. Say you have a larger family, cook two whole chickens ahead of time, and then you can be eating that for lunch and dinner for the next couple of days, right? right.
2: Until you get sick of chicken.
3: Sure. And I-, then- <laughs> I have a salad hack for you. What's that?
2: You invert them. You put the crunchy stuff and all the little chopped vegetables on the bottom and you put the greens on top and then the greens don't get soggy.
3: Exactly. Also, you can put the dressing on the bottom. Yes. And then when you flip it. You just shake it. You shake, yeah. (laughs) I'm all over this. You're the true expert here, Jamie. <laughs> I am.
2: Thank you for coming on the show today. That's unfortunately that's all the time we have today.
3: Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. It was fun.
2: And when we when you come back next month, we're we're gonna debate. We're gonna debate uh, non GMO, right? Uh-huh. For non GMO month. Yeah, yeah. I gotta take a side. I know which side you're on. I'm taking the other, just for the sake of the show. <laughs> We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on the Tonic.
5: And now the Soul Segment with spiritual medium, transpersonal therapist and teacher, Lisa Marvin. Through her use of tarot cards, your questions about love, money and career are sure to be answered. Hi everyone. Thanks for joining me for this week's Soul Segment. Today we'll be focusing on ways to gain more fulfillment in your life. The way this works is that I've pulled three cards to get a glimpse as to what to expect for the week. The first card is the energy that has brought you to where you are now. The second card is what you need to focus on right now, and the third card is the energy that's gonna carry you into the future. The first card that we're gonna look at is the Two of Wands. The Two of Wands means that lately, you've gotten some wonderful ideas on how to feel more connected and bring more fulfillment into your life. You may have even been inspired to start a new path. This week, the Six of Cups is gonna help you get there. The Six of Cups is about experiencing a wonderfully innocent type of happiness a feeling that you haven't been able to experience for a long time. The challenge in this is accepting and enjoying being in the moment. Once you begin to enjoy your day without worrying about the future, you'll notice some wonderful changes that will happen. The Eight of Wands means that the fulfillment that you desire will come to you very quickly. Your work here is to allow the changes to occur. So this week, focus on enjoying yourself in every moment and not worrying about the future. Once you do, you'll notice how your fulfillment comes to you easily and effortlessly. Thank you for joining me, and I'm looking forward to connecting with you next week. This has been the Soul Segment with Lisa Marvin. To contact Lisa with your questions, please visit metaphysique.ca.
2: The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighbourhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa.
3: You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio.
2: Dr. Emily Lipinski graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto, Ontario, and is a member of the Ontario Association of Naturopathic Doctors. While in the academic world, Emily became fascinated with the potential applications of naturopathic medicine in health and wellness. She strongly believes in addressing the root cause of medical issues and using natural therapies either alone or in conjunction with conventional Western medicine. Welcome back to the show.
6: Great to be here again.
2: So last time we were talking about hormones. Yes. But today we're going somewhere totally different. That's right. We're going to sleep, right? We are. So I know you think sleep's pretty important. Tell us why.
6: Well, first off, sleep disorders actually affect around 40% of Canadians at some point in their life. Right. And sleep, we know people feel better when they sleep, but some research shows that when people don't sleep enough or when they're sleep deprived, uh, their metabolism slows. Yes. They start to get hungrier. People that don't sleep enough actually gain quite a bit of weight.
2: Because they're up. And they're eating because they're bored or they're watching TV. I'm speaking from experience here.
6: (laughs) That's part of it. But the other part people don't realize is that hormones change. There's a certain hormone in our body called ghrelin. Ghrelin makes us feel hungry. Right. And when we don't sleep, more ghrelin gets released. Hmm. And when we do sleep more, there's another hormone called leptin that makes us feel full. And when we sleep a nice, good night's rest, we have more leptin in our body. So that's part of it. Another part of of sleep is when people don't sleep enough, they're at higher risk of diabetes, of stroke, and of heart attacks.
2: So sleep's pretty important. We've got to make sure we get it. That's right. And also, we sleep differently as we get older, too, don't we?
6: It's true. As we age, especially after people get over the age of 50 and 60, they tend to sleep less. Yes. And that's for a variety of reasons. Um, one big one is worry. We know that as people age, sometimes they worry more. Um, sleep can be interrupted with certain medications that people are taking. Yes. And there's a lot of uh, diseases that can interfere with sleep, such as arthritis, uh, fibromyalgia, anxiety and depression. All these things get more common as one ages, and that can also play with sleep patterns.
2: And, you know, sometimes you have to wake up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom. That's right. Yeah. That happens as you get older
6: and, to both males and no, females. No, no, I said right?
2: I I wasn't. You know, yes, I was speaking of me, but <laughs> I but yes, everybody has those nights where you just get up and and you know if it happens at the wrong time of night, it's hard to get back to sleep. Absolutely. Yes. So, what do you think is the problem? What what's stopping us from sleeping properly?
6: Again, it could be medications. It can be part of these um, diseases. It's also these new devices that we're bringing into the bedroom or TVs. Oh, wait a
2: we're... minute. What are you talking about here?
6: I'm talking about smartphones. I'm talking oh, about. Okay. I thought you were
2: talking about other devices. Well, yeah. that's a, well, that that's could, a different that show and a different guest.
6: <laughs> I could play with it too. But, but specifically, smartphones, iPads, even TVs admit a certain light, wavelength of light called blue light. Right. And blue light interferes with our sleep because it reduces a hormone in our body known as melatonin. And melatonin is not only really important for quality and quantity of sleep, but it's also protective against cancer.
2: Right. And, and also, it's a bad idea to be on your phone or your iPad or whatever, your handheld device, before you go to sleep, because it affects uh, your eyes as well. It and, and it makes it more, it tires your eyes out, which makes it harder for your eyes to relax heading into sleep. I read an yep. article about it's that. It's true.
6: And it takes away from time with your partner in the right. bedroom too, right? I think it was Pierre Elliott Trudeau that said um, phones and TVs have no place in the bedroom. And, you know, the bedroom should be kind of like a sanctuary where it's quiet, it's, you know, reduction in stimulus. The last study I looked at, well over 50% of Canadians were bringing some sort of device into the bedroom.
2: Okay. So aside from removing the devices, what else would you recommend to help get a good night's sleep?
6: So not eating right before sleep, or if you do eat something, make it really light, half an apple, half a pear, something that's easily digestible, Right. doing some deep breathing or some sort of relaxation activity before sleep, or it could be some sort of ritual. We know that prehistorically, humans had some sort of ritual when they uh, the sun set. There wasn't any bright lights. Maybe it was a fire. But they'd gather around the fire. They'd talk amongst themselves. They'd have some sort of bedtime routine. Right. And we know we do that with kids. We put our kids to bed with Bedtime routine. story. Yeah. Yep. But we as adults need that too, right? It signals to the body that, okay, I would love it if
2: somebody read my right, story right? before I went to Gave bed. Gave
6: you a right? little massage, bath you. <laughs> yeah, whole nine yards.
2: Exactly. I think we're on to something here. <laughs> yeah.
6: Yeah. So speaking of baths, having a bath or a shower to warm the body up, but then when you get out, it's cooler in the bedroom. That can help release melatonin. And making sure your bedroom isn't too hot.
2: Right. Sleep temperatures is huge.
6: Very much so. And then making sure all the lights in the bedroom are out. So even lights from the clock radio, a little bit of light coming in from the blinds, that can interfere with melatonin secretion as well. So if you're having trouble sleeping, investing in some blackout curtains can be a a game changer.
2: and I know people who actually put earplugs in because they find that the noises bother them yes. and, and it helps them get to sleep. I Absolutely. mean if that's an issue for you. I mean it seems intuitive, but you know, maybe maybe you need to block out the sound.
6: Yeah, or I use white noise, which is also really helpful. I use it from an air filter. It gives a nice little white noise, but there's also apps you can download on your phone for free that play white noise as well.
2: So for a long time when I when I used to weigh a whole lot more than I do now, I had a snoring problem. Yes. And I know lots of people have snoring. A snore for for different reasons. What can we do about that?
6: The most common cause of snoring. Well, there's two common causes, and they kind of play into each other. Is sleep apnea. Yes. Which also goes hand in hand with being overweight.
2: Right. Now, well, sleep apnea is very serious.
6: It is. It is very serious. And the gold standard treatment for sleep apnea is using a CPAP. Yes. Which compliance is very low so a lot of people don't realize that as long as you have a dentist that's certified by the American or, or Canadian Academy of oral sleep apnea and, and sleep dentistry you can make you can have an oral appliance made yes that if your sleep apnea is mild to moderate it can be as effective as a CPAP and compliance is much higher right so
2: apnea is literally you, you stop respirating when you when you're sleeping right that's
6: it, right you feel that you you wake up gasping for air um, you feel very restless but the the snoring is a cornerstone of it. And it's often your, the sleep partner that will identify, you know, my-, my Oh,
2: yes. <laughs> and it's easily identified. You get an elbow in the side. Yes, yeah, and, or kicked out of the room. And I'll, I'll tell you, when I lost my weight and, and it was about 42 pounds, yes. the snoring went away.
6: Yes. And, you know, I should say gold standard is weight loss and then CPAP. A lot of people, unfortunately, don't, Want to lose weight or have trouble losing weight or right. don't it's want to invest so the time, right? right. Weight yeah. loss is very difficult. But it's just really important for people to know if they are struggling with sleep apnea and they haven't been using their CPAP, there are potentially some other solutions because untreated sleep apnea is very dangerous.
2: So let's talk about what sort of treatments we can do to improve our sleep. So are there any herbal remedies that we can use?
6: There are. Again, with all herbal remedies, it's best to consult a healthcare practitioner first, but some of my favorites, Kava Kava can be very effective. Chamomile taken even in a tea form. Some people don't want to drink too much before they go to bed, so you can make a really strong tea, put a few tea bags in there, let it cool overnight, keep it in the fridge, and even take a little small amount of some chamomile or sleepy time tea.
2: So the kava kava and the chamomile, is that to help you get to sleep or improve the quality of your Both. sleep? Both. Okay.
6: Yeah. So melatonin is something that's that's really, you know, helping to help you get to sleep. It right. doesn't necessarily keep you asleep. Right. And for some people, too, melatonin can have something called a paradoxical effect. Right. So melatonin is easily found in drugstores, over the counter. It's very popular now, but some people take it and they feel more awake instead of helping them go to sleep. Correct. Yeah. What about valerian? Do you recommend that? I also really like valerian, too. Yeah. And a lot of this sleep, the nice thing is, is that prescription sleep medication is becoming increasingly common. Right. And prescription sleep medication has some, you know, unwanted side effects like addiction, feeling hungover, right. having a paradoxical anxiety effect. Whereas a lot of the herbal medicines we have for sleep, like chamomile and valerian, they're pretty safe.
2: And they don't impact the quality of the sleep, right? Like That's a right. sleeping pill. Yeah. You fall asleep and then it's kind of a weird slumber, right? Like uh, it. it you it's don't,
6: called fake sleeping right really. like you
2: don't really wake up rejuvenated but you no. but you've been unconscious that's some, right some people may want that i don't know that's
6: but well the interesting thing is they found that sleep medications even people that take them it doesn't necessarily reduce the risk of heart attacks because again they're fake sleeping they're kind of in this comatose right. you know they're not getting that nice good quality they're not getting sleep
2: but they're, they're not necessarily getting rest that's right that's right okay so another issue for
6: many is travel and yes. sleep uh how would you deal with jet lag So if melatonin is something that works for you, melatonin can be a great adjunct when you arrive in a new city at a different time zone to use a little melatonin when you need to go to sleep. I generally recommend to my patients not napping when you get to a new time zone to really try and take on that new time zone's time. Making sure you get outside and expose yourself to light. So trying to get into that circadian, the new circadian rhythm, which a lot of people, again, with the smartphones, it's getting out of that circadian rhythm. So we need to get back into it. So getting outside, connecting with nature, um, seeing the sunlight are all things that absolutely help jet lag.
2: Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. Will you come back again soon? I will. Fantastic. And thanks for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomeradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For articles written by Megan Horsley, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll learn the importance of how you source your protein, all about fitness hacks, how to have a healthy Thanksgiving, and what to do when your kids come back to the empty nest. Until then, this is Jamie Bussin wishing you a healthy and happy week.
0: Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement.